One Hope Church. Glad each and every one of you are here today, especially those who are visiting with us, maybe for the first or second time. We're so glad um, you're here. Um, please make yourself at home if you need anything. Please don't hesitate to let us know. Um, we are going to begin this morning, we're beginning a, a new um, study through the book of First Samuel um, in the Old Testament. Um, we occasionally do some, some topical things that are so obviously very um, scripture heavy. We just um, finished a series we called Forgotten Heroes, where we looked at a lot of characters in the, in the Bible that um, aren't as well known, but are still significant um, in um, teaching us something of their walk with God. And so uh, we looked at some, some lesser known, known characters um, through that, but now we're going to be back um, in a book study. And how we do that is basically, you know, we go straight through. We don't skip anything because we don't want to um, just kind of cherry pick and take the stuff that we like or the stuff that's easy for us um, or the stuff we easily agree with. But we have to um, take the entire counsel of God, the whole word of God, um, and seek to understand it in its context and then seek to apply that correctly um, in our lives. And so um, I'm excited about uh, beginning this with you all this morning, and I pray that it will be a blessing to each one of us. We'll all um, learn a lot um, through it. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then uh, we'll begin in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, so much that you are a good and, and gracious and loving God. We're thankful for the privilege that we have to have your word. Um, what a blessing to have it so free and accessible. And, and please help us not to um, take that for granted. Um, but help us to search your scriptures that we might learn um, by them, that you might form us and teach us um, by your word. So we pray that you would help us this morning, God, that you would... Um, transform us by the renewing of our, of our minds according to your scripture, um, that you would work in our hearts, that you would show us things in our lives and that are um, not according to your ways, uh, that you would show us even where we hurt, um, you would um, help us in those things, God, and you would um, do your work in us and heal us and comfort us. God, we thank you for your great grace shown to us, most of all, through your son, Jesus. And Jesus, it's in your name that we pray these things. Amen. So we begin, First uh, Samuel chapter 1, it begins with these words. It kind of sets a scene for us and sets a context um, for the rest of the book. And it says, Now there was a certain man of Rathium Zophim of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Toa, the son of Zulph, and Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the other, Peniah. And Peniah had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peniah his wife and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. The Lord had closed her womb, and her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb. 
So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore, Hannah wept and did not eat. Now, there's a lot to unpack just in those first um, seven verses. There's a lot there for us. Um, I want to tackle a couple of things here before we continue um, in the passage. Um, And the first is that we can know what is right in God's eyes and still make different choices than that. We can know what's right in God's eyes and still make unwise decisions. See, Genesis chapter 1 and 2 made it clear that God's design for humanity is that the two shall become one flesh. Not the three or the four or the five, but the two. Um, We were made for monogamy. That was God's intention from the beginning. But we see um, in the Old Testament uh, this common practice of a man often having multiple wives. Um, It was common in Israel in these days as they had picked up um, that practice. Um, It was common in in the nations around them. And that's what people did. In the, in the end of the book of Judges, um, in context there, it says that in those days there was no king in Israel and, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's how the book of Judges ends, which is where 1 Samuel you know, picks up. And so, you know, everyone is doing what, what they consider to be the right thing to do. And so even though... Um, it's obvious that, that Elkanah has a, a respect and a love for God. He has still gone along with this common practice. And instead of having just you know, Hannah for his wife, he has Hannah and he has Peniah. And now this causes a conflict because these two women have one man. And the natural thing there is that they are going to compete. They're going to compete. Um, So again, you can understand what God has said and yet still desire to make a different decision. I'll give you just a very light, kind of funny example of that. Um, Yesterday, uh, so I'm driving Micah in the morning to his, you know, basketball game. And so we're talking and it's like, you know, let's pray just that, you know, for the day that, you know, it'll be a good day and that everybody will play hard and and do their best and, you know, be a good time for everybody. And, And he says... Yes, and, and I want to pray that my team wins. And so, y'all know me, if y'all know me, you know the conversation I have with young men about um, that sort of thing. And so I, I said, well, Micah, what if there's uh, what if there are kids on the other team and they're praying the same thing to the same God? You know, they want to win. You know, what is God supposed to do? And I look at my rear view and I see he makes this face that's kind of like, you know, he's like, he's like I haven't really thought about that so much before. And so, went through that conversation. I was like, so if God has his children that he loves, and they're both, you know, and they're on opposite teams, and they're playing against each other, you know, what, what should God do? And, he, you know, he can tell he's, he understands fully, he understands fully the, the, that what he is asking isn't um, rational. You know, he understands fully that there's a, there's a, that he, he, you know, it's, it's not a fair thing to ask God um, to, to have the victory in the context because you know, it's like we're not talking about good versus evil. We're talking about good versus evil. There's a, a place to ask for victory. 
But when we're talking a, just a, a, a sport between two people and I mean two teams, and, and you know they can both have people on their team that love God. I mean, you, you, you know what are we doing? And um, and he so he understood it all, and then he says, "I still want to pray for my team to win." <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, you know, I can tell you what's right and wrong, but I can't change your prayer before God. Your prayer is your prayer. You know, you have to pray with your prayer. So sure enough, you know, he prays that everybody be safe, everybody have a good time, and that his team would win. And he finishes prayer, he goes, Slavs, you know. And, um, I mean, and he's five, you know, I mean, so, you know, you got context of all of that. But I had to, I chuckled a little bit. Um, but that's a very real, you know, reality that you can know the, the truth, but yet your desire has not yet lined up with the truth. You desire something different than the truth. And a lot of times desire wins out over truth, over reality. And then that can cause problems. Now, funny thing for Micah yesterday is the other team start the game. They don't have enough players to play. And so I have to put a couple of mine over, and, and he's one of them. And then another kid, a couple of kids walked in, so brought other kid back, and he's still there on the other team. And, and it's like, technically his team won. It's just, he wasn't on it. <laughs> Got smoked. But, uh, you know, that's... You know, so that's uh, how that goes. I'm the coach. I'm like, if I got to put somebody on, they're going to be my son, not somebody else's. So, you know, there you, there you go. So you, you got what you asked for, buddy. No. Um, <laughs> you know, anyway. He's like, well, I still wanted my team to win, so I kind of sabotaged. No, he, he was trying to make excuses. But anyway, funny, funny, funny. Now, um... This obviously created a conflict and a consequence that Elkanah is now in this um, position where he has one wife who is barren and the other wife who is apparently very fertile has many children and um, there's a there's a conflict and it says that her rival Hannah's it, it describes her as a rival what a sad phrase that in this house there would be this rivalry and that Penia would provoke her severely to make her miserable. That was her goal, is what the scripture says. Her goal, Penia's goal was to make Hannah's life miserable. And so obviously, I mean, and this is going on year by year. This isn't like a one-time thing. This is an ongoing situation. And uh, you imagine how many tears that Hannah would have shed. And so, verse 8, Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep, and why do you not eat, and why is your heart grieved? I am, not, am I not better to you than ten sons? Now, Elkanah, Especially if you're a if you're a husband, you can understand um, Elkanah's desire here to to help um, his his wife. But but sometimes we have to learn it's it's better just to like to shut up and hold. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's better just to to close the mouth, hold tight, and don't say anything. Trust me, I have been there. 
you know, as, as, as husbands, a lot of times, you know, those were the husbands, lots of, we want to we wanna solve a problem. We see the one we love in distress. We want to solve a problem. So we take this, like, you know, logical question thing. And then, you know, we kind of have to make it a little bit about us. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not better than, like, ten sons. I mean, you know, I should be, you know, sufficient and everything. You know, because we think it's our failures. You know, that everything is our failure if, if she's not happy. And so then, therefore, i got to solve it and fix it. Take a deep breath. Shut up. Hold. <laughs> a lot of times that's the best thing you can do. There's a time to talk. And there's a time to shut up and hold. And uh, you men have to learn that. And so, again, this isn't um, prescriptive of like, here's what you should do. It's descriptive of, this is what happened. And when you're reading the scripture, that's one of the things that you really have to understand as you read. Because you read this and you're like, Elkanah had two wives. Is that prescriptive? Is that something should be done? Or is that descriptive? It's like describing what was done. Um, and, and you have to get that right. And how do we get that right? Well, we use other scripture to make sure to check ourselves. And then if we do that, we clearly would see that, okay, this is describing what happened. That the prescription for what we should do is wholly different. Okay. So then it's the, we have the rest of the scene. Pick up verse 9. We need 9 through 14. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard, and therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. Stop there for a minute. So again, you know, she's at the she's at the tabernacle of the Lord. It says she has bitterness of soul. She prays to the Lord. She's in deep anguish. She is weeping, and she makes this vow. Lord, if you'll give me a son, then I'll give him back to you, that he will serve in your presence. You know, he was going to be a priest. He would serve in your presence forever. You know, as long as he's alive. That that's, that's my promise. That's her promise that she gives. Um, and so then Eli just sees her there, and, and he makes some presuppositions. Now, I, I will say this. Given her circumstances... It would be reasonable that she would turn to a bottle for comfort. You know, given her circumstances, you know, it would be hard to um, look down at her for taking that approach of how she's going to ease her pain. But 
that's not what she has done. She has you know, laid herself out before the Lord and asked God for help. And so that does bring a question to us. We'll come back to it at the end. But just question for us now. You know, when we are going through distress, you know, how do we cope with it? What do we turn to? Do we turn to, to food or to drink or to Netflix or to some other thing to, to soothe and to distract you know, our, our, our method of, of uh, dealing with our heartache a lot of times is to put out of mind, you know, to distract or to be out of mind. But we're, we're, we see in the example of, of Hannah a better alternative, which is to really embrace her misery <laughs> in terms of pouring it out before the Lord and dealing with it that way. So hopefully we can learn from her example this morning. And then in verse 15 it says, But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. We see Eli, you know, had made a big miscalculation. There's lessons for us there as well. Um, Not to uh, assume um, that we understand everything in a situation that we don't know the details, you know, about, um, you know, he, he allowed those assumptions to particularly add on pain uh, to someone when he could have asked questions. You know, he could have asked, you know, why are you troubled? You know, what, why, are, why are you, you here? For what purpose? Uh, what is the state of your heart? Um, and he could have been open to the possibility that his first thought was not the correct thought. You know, I'm sure he had precedence. I'm sure he had seen things like that before and, um, and then, you know, used that information going into this situation. We do that, don't we? You know, we take our previous experiences and we walk into something and then we think we know what's up and so we have all these things in our head and then we find out, oh wait, that's completely different than what I thought it was. You know, and sometimes we're humbled by that. And so we need to to have a that in our minds that our first thought might not be the right thought in a situation and to ask questions and to be humble. But thankfully, Hannah um in how she responded, we again would understand if she had unleashed bitterness, her bitterness on Eli. You could understand that. You know, and and really, we see her character. You know, you see that, that it would have been reasonable to have expected her to turn to the bottle to comfort her. It would have been reasonable for her to lash out in bitterness and in anger when she was questioned, when she was falsely accused. But instead, we see that, that she took a humble path. She did not curse him. You know, she told the truth. She defended her character. She defended herself, but she did so in a humble way. 
in a way that was without sin. Um, and that's a tremendous example, you know, for us. It says there, verse 19, they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice in his vow, but Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, and then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli and said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. And therefore I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. Uh, it's a beautiful picture, you know, again, Hannah, again, a tremendous example in faithfulness. She could, you know, you, would you have been surprised if you read what had happened and then the child comes and then the person says, you know, Lord, I know what I promised, but I can't. I, I've got to keep him with me and, and hold him tight. You know, th- this woman shows her, pri- her faithfulness and, and her priorities in life in a really powerful way. And she named him Samuel, and, and the name Samuel um, could be translated along the lines of, you know, God has heard. You know, that God has heard her. And that's why he names her that. Um, it's a beautiful scene. And, you know, for my wife and I, this, this portion of Scripture is you know, is special to us because we had five years of infertility. And so we, we know what the tears are like. We, we know what the prayers, you know, are like. Um, and we, we saw God answer, you know, our prayers and the prayers of, of many people. Um, and so, you know, we named our daughter Hannah because it would be odd to name her Samuel. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that's... You know, we could have done that, I guess. We could have done that. But, we, but in it, we wanted to remember, um, you know, the Lord's faithfulness and Hannah's character um, in the story. And just um, that the Lord, a reminder um, of, of answered prayer, you know, in, in our lives. And in chapter 2, it begins with Hannah's um, prayer. In verse 1, it says, And Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, 
and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. The Lord brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich, and he brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. A couple things in here I just you know, want to note that you know, Hannah um, has a great faith and trust in the ultimate justice of God, even when the justice of God in certain moments of life are not apparent. In certain periods of history are not apparent. Um, and, you know, when we look back at world history, we see man's inhumanity to man. You know, the human capacity to, to do evil to other humans. You know, you, we, can, we can read and, and, and you know, Penny, this, this woman who, who takes her joy, her, her happiness is based on Hannah's suffering and we say, wow, that's wicked. And unfortunately, we also say, wow, that's so incredibly normal. That's so incredibly normal. I mean, humans have done that and, and, and so much worse. And so much worse. You know, where do wars and envy and strife come from? It comes from the selfish and wicked desires of the human heart. But here we have hope of a couple of things that are interesting at the, at the end. One is that the, she's confident, you know, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. Like nothing goes unseen by him. And we say, God, where are you? And why don't you, know, don't you see this injustice? Well, God does see the injustice and, and he will require an accounting. Now, the great news for us, because um, though we may not have committed you know, the worst of the atrocities that humans are capable of, of, still, as the scripture says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, we have all committed sins of, of lust and of hatred and of, you know, terrible things in our hearts and minds that are an offense to, to God and his holiness. And so God made a way when he sent Jesus to be like us in human flesh and yet without sin, that he would go to the cross and he would die for us and pay our price and our penalty so that we would receive mercy. Well, what is mercy? Mercy is the reality that we deserve judgment but did not get it. We, we, we cried out for mercy. Do not hold this guilt against my account. But more than that, God then even gives us his, his grace and grace is, is the good side of it, though the what we didn't deserve that we get. We didn't deserve to be part of God's family. We didn't deserve to uh, um, be given an eternal home with him. 
so much good that we receive that we didn't deserve, both here and in, in, and in eternity, for those who believe in Jesus and humble themselves before him. And then he says this, he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Interesting thing there is, you know, remember how Judges ended, there was no king, and it's a, it's a you know, it's written, it's able to, to write that because, you know, when it's written, these things in Samuel, these things in Samuel have um, happened. And so there is a king, you know, that's coming. But it's a prophetic word that she gives in her prayer that there's going to be a king. And what I would contend with that, because it's a prophetic word, that, you know, we know that the, the nation of Israel wasn't supposed to have a king in the, in the books of the law. It's like, it's going to be a, it's actually going to be a theocracy. You know, that, that God is, is going to be the king. And they are warned, you know, if you, um, if you ask, you know, a king's not going to be great for you. Um, because what do kings do? Well, kings charge taxes. <laughs> and kings take people to be their servants. And kings enlist people in their armies in a perpetual state. Not like, a, hey, we're being attacked and we need to you know, rally to defend our, ourselves. But no, you're just in the king's army for this long period of your, your life. And, you know, it was like, hey, because God is your king, and because he fights for you, you actually don't need any of that. But the people are like, you know, we want to be like the other nations. The other, the other nations have kings, and we want to be like them. And God says, okay. You know, you can have that. You're going to learn. You're going to learn that that's not great. But I think what we're really looking forward to here in, in Hannah's um, Prophecy is a, a just and righteous king who will be the one that God you know, uses to judge the ends of the earth. And, and that's King Jesus. The, the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it, you know, the, there's, there's reference there to to the reality that Jesus is Savior, that's the Jesus part. And Christ is the anointed, the, the King. He is the King. And we're reminded this morning that um, though may, they, we may want a Savior and not a King, that's not how it works. Jesus is both. Jesus Christ is both Savior and King. And so we need to have and to grow in, in, in desire, the right sort of desire, that we would have Jesus as king over our hearts and over our minds, and, and that we would see the truth and we wouldn't like, be like so much of what we see in the scriptures of people having access to the right information. This is how God wants you to live. And they'll go, yeah, I understand what that, I understand that. But my desire, the desire of my flesh is this other thing. And so I'm going to do that. 
And that's because that's where we end up with unnecessary heartache um, and unnecessary problems um, in our lives. I'm going to go just a little further to finish up this morning just to, to set this contrast and we'll, we'll carry into it next week. Verse 12, it says, Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. And the, as, and the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. And then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. And the priest would take for himself all the, that the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And if the man said, They should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires. He would then answer him, No, but you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Therefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, The Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. And they would go to their own homes. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. So here just setting up a contrast between the sons of Eli and Samuel. You know, Eli, um, again, he, he knew what was right before the Lord. And it seems like, um, for the most part, he, he did that with reasonable faithfulness. But it wasn't passed on to his sons. It says that his sons were wicked. They did this wickedness. And, and what they did, um, you know, the, from the sacrifice, there was to be a portion that would go to the, the Levites that was part of their, you know, sustenance because they didn't, you know, have the farms and, and doing that sort of work. They had, um, you know, the priestly work to do. And so therefore, they, they, still, they still needed to eat, right? So a portion of what was brought um, in the offerings would be for them. But um, the sons of Elod did this in um, not according to the law and what was given, not according to the ways that it should be done. And they did so with greed, and they would threaten violence. I mean, that's pretty remarkable and, and awful. It says the sin of the young men, in verse 17, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. You see, this is what happened with that religious corruption, is that you know, the other people in, in Israel didn't want to go and offer sacrifices because they knew the corruption of Eli's sons. And I'm sure it reflected very poorly on Eli as well. But worse yet, it made them not want to participate in the proper worship of God, as God had given for them in this, in, in that period of time. That's a pretty awful thing. 
That's a pretty awful thing. And we'll we'll look. At, I'm not going to go too much there into the other sins of, of uh, the sons of Eli, but we'll we'll get there next week. Um, but just we have to un- understand that it's a really terrible thing when people who are so, been given the the task and the purpose of leading other people to worship God. Um, then create stumbling blocks for them. This is why Jesus is so angry at the religious leaders of his day. Because they're creating stumbling blocks for people uh, and making it more difficult for people to access God. And what's really terrible that the sons of Eli have full access to the truth and to the scriptures. They are supposed to be the you know caretakers of it. And yet they ignore what they have been given, they ignore um, all that they have seen um, and witnessed and that the scriptures testified of the greatness and power of God. So that's, again, we'll talk more about that next week. But we have the contrast. We have the contrast and we have, um, as well, decisions to make uh, because the sons of Eli are living according to the sinful desires of their flesh. And we have a decision to make as we're studying the book of Romans in our house fellowships. You know, we, have, we see this, this contrast and this choice of to walk in the Spirit. Um, in Galatians it tells us, you know, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We, and the flesh there, we're not talking about your, you know, our, our physical you know, bones and skin and muscle and nerves and all of that stuff. Um, with the flesh, we're talking about, um, you know, the, the desires of our soul. You know, that's what we're referring to there. Our, our physical bodies can be used for good or for evil. Our physical bodies are not inherently wrong. We can worship God through the use of our physical bodies. Um, so it, that's not what it is. Uh, but it's, a, it's a, about whether we're centered around living in the way of God according to the power of God. Or we're centered around living in our way according to our own power. That's the contrast. But I want to go back to Hannah just for a moment as we finish up and just to ask that question because the reality is that everyone in life has experienced significant pain. Some have more awareness of the pain they've experienced than others because some of us, you know, have done a pretty good job of, you know, stuffing that down into a deep, dark corner um, and, and don't want that to come out because it hurts. But everybody has pain. And if you don't have that much, well, um, Tom will probably... Provide it. It's part of the human condition, unfortunately. It's part of the consequence against humanity's rebellion against God and his ways. That death, you know, sin is in the world and through sin, death. Um, now we are thankful, because I don't want to be depressing this morning in any way, because we see the ability to overcome through faithfulness. 
that's you know obedience to God is the is the way to overcome circumstances because it puts us into the reality that even if God does not answer the request of my heart, He is there to comfort my heart. And one day, all things will be right in His presence. And I won't have that pain anymore. That that's going to be dealt with. Now, our preference is obviously on certain very human, normal, natural things that God hear my prayer. And I'm not saying you should just be like, well, I'm going to be great in eternity, so I'm, you know, I'm not sad anymore or something like that. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying God is there to comfort you through it, and he gives a perspective. He gives us a perspective of the, of the eternal and not solely focused on the problem. Not solely focused on the problem, but we're able to see the, the problem that is real and hurtful and painful and that is worthy of tears in the context of eternity. And hopefully that's of some comfort. And Jesus said, Lo, I am, always, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Hopefully having G- the presence of Jesus as we go to him instead of the bottle or to food or to Netflix or to a book, a different book, or to um, you know a friend who's going to tell us the lies that we want to hear. That instead we would go to Jesus and bear our soul before him. Hopefully we could learn that that discipline to be with Jesus in our pain and in our suffering. Because again, we're all going to experience it. And the question that we have to answer is not, will I experience it? But how will I handle it? It's not, will I experience pain? But how will I handle pain? And may we be encouraged this morning. And may we be reminded in our deepest hurts, our deepest pains, And if we ever question, God, do you love me? You, you look back to the cross. You look at the bread and the cup on the table this morning and it reminds you, yes, God loves you. So much so. God shows us. God demonstrates. Romans 5.8. God demonstrates how much he loves us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That when I was unholy, unworthy, sinful, apart from God, God looked at you and I with compassion, with mercy and with grace and with love. And Christ put on human flesh and came and lived among us and to suffer. So that we could be healed. So that we could be made whole in him. So we could be part of his family. So we could be what God originally created us as human beings to be before we rebelled. That yes, in your deepest pains, God has loved you, does love you, 
and will love you. And in that is great hope and comfort. And that is the, the joy that the scripture talks about that goes beyond our circumstances. And so I pray that if you need that message this morning, you would embrace the presence of God and the joy that He that is available even through our pain. If you're not at that point this morning, I pray that at some point in your life, when you are in pain, you would remember Hannah and her example and who she turned to, her faithfulness, her humility, her grace. That's what her name means, by the way, too. Her grace in her pain. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we're reminded of how wicked people can be, how much pain we can go through. We're reminded of your presence and that through deciding to be faithful and to be humble, We can handle these things in a way that gives you glory and gives you um, and gives you the opportunity to lift us up. Lord, your scripture says that you give grace to the humble, but you resist the proud. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to be humble before you this morning. As we see the bread and the cup before us, we see the, the sacrifice that was made. The bread represents the body of your Son and the cup his blood that we would be reminded this morning. For any that have not entered in to relationship with you through faith, in your son Jesus. We pray that you would give them the strength this morning to humble themselves and to cry out to you and say, God, please forgive me, a sinner. That they would put their trust in you, Jesus, and in only you. And this morning, for those of us who have already done that, Lord, we pray that you would humble us and Lord, I'm confident in, in so many of us, Lord, there's still places of, of pain to be comforted and things to be worked through and, and there's bad habits that we have of what we do when we experience distress. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be humble and to turn our hearts to you this morning. That you would meet each one of us where we are. Lord, give us the patience to endure because for many of these things, Lord, it seems like they can go on like they did for Hannah for years and years. So, Lord, give us patience. Help us to be faithful while we await your answer.
and your help. In your name, Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Our worship leaders are going to come back up and um, in this, we have an open time where anyone is, who knows the Lord is, is free to request song, to, um, to pray, to read scripture. We ask if you go beyond that to explain anything that, you know, just that you would know us and we would know you, we'd be on the same page um, about um, the truth of the scriptures and the reality of Jesus. Um, and we pray that in this time, it would be for the Lord that our hearts would be you know, towards Jesus, that our eyes would look you know, to Jesus. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that we need in, the, in, the, in our lives. We need fellowship. We have prayer requests. We have sick relatives. We have all these different things. And there are times um, for that. And certainly, if you have something going on and burning your heart and life, you know, stay this morning and, and we'll take as much time as is needed to pray with you and speak with you and help you. But in these few minutes that we have, we ask this that everything direct us to Jesus and who he is and his love for us. Amen. If you would, please turn with us in your songbooks tonight.